0: Weeks. we've started a series here called This Is Us. That's talking about who we are as a local church, who we are as Freedom Life, what we're all about, and uh, today we're going to continue that on. I apologize, I don't have any slides today because I only found out that I'm talking at like 7.30 this morning, so I'm not that prepared. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, today we're going to look at a church of glory. And uh, what that means and what that looks like for us. But I'm just going to start us off with the key text that we've been looking at is in Matthew 16. And it's where uh, the disciples, or sorry, the, Jesus comes to his disciples and asks them, who does the world say I am? And they say that you're like John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus goes, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter or Simon uh, Peter stands up and says, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says that, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this hasn't been revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. This has come from revelation from heaven. And so then he goes on to say that you are Peter, and you are. I tell you that you are Peter. He changes his name there. It says that you are like a small rock. You are a, a strong a rock that can't be swayed. And then he says, on this rock, talking about himself, talking about Jesus, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So that's kind of our key scripture that we've been looking looking at. And uh, just this picture that out of our identity, uh, or out of Jesus' identity, knowing who he is, we begin to discover who we really are. And as we know who we really are, God then reveals his plan for us. He shows us what he is building, that he's building us together as this church that cannot be overcome by the devil. No, a, a people who know their true identity in Christ cannot, over, cannot be overcome by the devil. There's strong words when you really think about it, that you will never be defeated by the devil if you know who you are. There's a place that we can get to where we can stand in victory over every attack, no matter what it is. In Isaiah, it talks about how it says that every weapon that's forged against us, every single thing that the devil works hard, his strategies, his hard work, because, say, making a sword is not easy. It requires a lot of hard work to go into it, a lot of sweat. And he does that to try and defeat us in new ways, but it says if we know who we are, he will never defeat us. It will never, it will never work. It doesn't say that he won't attack. He's going to attack. He's going to try his best to attack. Remember, he's the devil is the one who comes to rob, kill, and destroy. He's always going to try that, but we can be in such a place of knowing who we are in Christ that it will never work. Yeah. How many of you want want that? <laughs> I want that. In Isaiah, it talks about those who are established in righteousness. They're the ones who can be solid and knowing that we can never be defeated. So it comes back to that thing of righteousness, knowing who you are in Christ, that it's not your performance, but knowing that it's Jesus' performance on your behalf. And because of that, you can stand in his victory. Amen? That was, none of that was in my notes. Uh, so then we looked at Ephesians 3, and it talks about how God's intent, that was now through the church, right, not through individuals, through the church, us corporately, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ. And so we know that every local church has this same calling, this same ma- mandate, this same mission. We are all called to display the splendor and the majesty of God. And the word like we said last week, uh, manifold, means many faceted, many, uh, just a whole array of the goodness and the, and the glory of God being displayed. And that's why we need heaps of churches, heaps of Christians to be able to display the full breadth of who Jesus is, that every, I think I had the picture of, uh, of each of us being like a diamond, or each church like a diamond, and when you put light into the diamond, it refracts and you get the different colors and the different displays of the, of the rainbow that gets, that gets uh, just shines out. So if you've got a diamond with one cut, put the light in, it's going to refract a certain way. If you have a different diamond with a different cut, you put the light in and it's going to show a different display of light, right, different aspects, different ways of it looking, and that's what each church is like that, that when you put the light of God in, there's a different flavor, there's a different DNA, there's a different framework, there's different leadership personalities, there's different people in the congregation with different personalities that are all meant to be like that, so that you can display the full breadth of the personality and nature of God, because he's huge, <laughs> so that's kind of where we were, what we were talking about. So each church has these different distinctive pillars and we've got nine, sorry I haven't got them up there today, uh, nine distinctive pillars that we're looking at of who we are as freedom life. The first one that we looked at last week is we're a church of grace. Church of grace, we think that that's hugely important and the number one pillar and it leads on to the next thing which is a church of glory because God's glory is attracted to grace. The glory of God is attracted to grace. It is not attracted to your performance. Amen? You want more of the glory of God, first thing to know is it's not you who attracts it, it's Jesus' performance on your behalf, knowing that His righteousness is what comes. His righteousness is a gift. His glory is also a gift which is attracted to His grace. It's attracted to Him. Amen? It says... Jesus in you is the hope of glory because it's him who attracts it, not you. So we're going to start here um, in Exodus 33. You can turn there if you want. Quite a popular verse. This is talking about Moses in verse 18, if you get there. Sorry, I'm just going to go because we're running out of time. Verse 18, it says, Moses said to God, now show me your glory. It's a bold thing to say, which is good. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, There is a place near, where, near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And I really like this scripture. And over my lifetime being growing up in church, I've heard it used in many different preachers, and it is generally used to define God's glory. I've heard it when people talk about his glory to define it, they often use this scripture. Have you heard that? Many of you heard that as well? So Moses is called out, calls out to God, show me your glory, and he responds by saying, I'll cause all my goodness to pass by. And people I've heard so often simply define God's glory as his goodness, which is correct It is His goodness, but I feel like when we simply say God's glory is just His goodness, it is a shallow description of what His glory is actually like. Amen? It's true, but to just say it flippantly, I feel devalues His glory. It's an oversimplification. So Moses couldn't even look at God's glory face. He couldn't look at the full brunt of God's glory because otherwise it would have killed him. So when we see... like, I'm just going to skip something, sorry. If you look over into the next chapter, it talks about how the Israelites in, in... chapter 34 that after Moses had been in his glory that they couldn't even look at his face because of the brilliance and the brightness of the glory of God just the residue of God's glory was on his face so bright and so radiant that the Israelites couldn't even look at his face so much so that he had to put a veil over it while it was fading away That's just the residue of the back of God. Glory. It's. I'm going to talk more about it, but to then just simply define it as his goodness, I think is I don't know. It bothers me. So in 2 Corinthians 3 it says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, even to this day when Moses is read, even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Because whenever... Anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, I just want to emphasize that thing that the glory of God is attracted to Jesus, to His grace. And whenever we preach law, whenever we come back into this idea that you need to do something and be better to earn righteousness before God, a veil is covering your heart, a veil gets covered over your faces to the point where you become dull to God and you can't hear him, you find it hard to experience him. And that is not what we want in the church. Amen? That's why I started with this thing of Church of Grace, because that's the pinnacle thing. It's the central pillar to who we are. If we don't understand that, how could we ever expect to walk in glory? We can't. We don't deserve it. Our, our efforts are pathetic. So there was this intense manifestation of God's glory that came with the law, right? Even with unholy, disobedient, unbelieving people. The Israelites are unbelieving generation, that's called. And it says his presence manifested in that place with such incredible power, but it wasn't a lasting glory. It came with huge, intense glory, but it didn't last. See, in the old covenant, it didn't have the structural integrity, if I can say it that way, to be able to sustain God's glory didn't have the integrity to be able to carry the full weight of who Jesus is or who God is, his personality. So God gave very specific instructions in the building and the establishment of the Mosaic government and the temple and uh, if you didn't follow those instructions properly you would die. Do you remember a guy called Uzzah? I think that's how you say it. And uh, God says, he builds this, this covenant, I mean, sorry, this ark box that's just gold that they put the law, the Ten Commandments, on tablets of stone in there and some other stuff they put in there. And that was the presence, the, the glory of God was in this box, all right? And, and God gives a very specific way of how they're to build it, how they're to design it, and how they are to carry it that people are not allowed to touch it it had to be carried on poles, wooden poles and carried on the shoulders of the priests. And in this particular thing, which was cool because I heard this, I think, two days ago at this Power and Love conference, they devised a new way of being able to carry the ark because it's supposed to be carried on the shoulders of the priests. But this time, they put it on a cart, on a wagon, right? Innovation, new ideas, thinking that it's going to be easier for them to be able to travel, make it go around. And it wasn't the way that God said. So as, it going, as it's going along, the thing like wobbles and shakes because it's just on this cart thing. And Uzzah reaches out. Someone who's supposed to be looking after it reaches out to touch it, to stabilize it, thinking he's doing the right thing. This is the presence of God. I need to make sure that this is like looked after. So he reaches out to touch it and He dies. doing something that he would think is a good attitude, good, good motive to be able to stabilize, but he dies. Because that is the majesty, that is the intensity, that is the goodness of God. The glory of God is that powerful, it is that intense, it is that valuable to Jesus and to, and to God, that that's, that's how powerful it is. Amen. I think of it um, like electricity. So if you don't follow the laws of electricity, you're going to electric, electrocute yourself. There's certain ways that God has governed it to work. right? And it's not like God's in heaven standing there looking across the world and then he's, he's waiting for someone to pick up a live wire and stand in a puddle and then once they've done that, he's like, okay, you've done that, so now I'm going to kill you. That's not how it works, is it? He set up a law, a certain divine order, that when you don't operate according to it, you are not being... Uh, I don't know quite how to say it. But say, like, your structural integrity in in relation to that law is just not... You're not operating right. I'll try and say it a bit better, sorry. Sorry. Um, So different metals that conduct electricity better than another. We've got like copper, we've got silver, we've got gold that all conduct, they're the best kind of conductors of electricity. And if you use something that's not a good metal or not conducted, bang, things are going to blow up. You need to know how it operates. You need to know the laws of it. And it's the same thing, I think, with the glory of God. It works in a very similar way. His divine design his divine order in how we are to carry his glory and how it is released through us. So in the old covenant, the only way God could house his glory was through a man-made temple that had to be cleansed and sanctified by the blood of bulls and goats and, and you had a specific system, and specific uh, kind of system that you had to to, uh, to adhere to in order to be cleansed, in order for his presence to be there. Right? The, talking about the priests, they're only allowed to enter into that place of the Holy of Holies once a year, and they had to go through a whole cleansing ritual and go through a, a proper process before they could enter into that glory, that realm of his glory. And if they didn't do it properly, they would die. That's why they tied rope around their legs so that they could pull them out if they didn't operate according to God's divine power and God's divine order. So God has made this covenant now, though, where he's changed the structural integrity of the temple to be able to sustain his glory so that it would never fade. Remember, under the old covenant, it was a fading glory and it had to do with the integrity of of the temple and of the instruments and the things that he used, that it couldn't be sustained. It would fade away. Whereas now, under the new covenant, the new covenant is about a covenant that's made between what Hebrews calls two immutable forces, right? two indestructible parties, two elements with infinite capacity, with infinite uh, integrity, to be able to sustain the glory of God without blowing up, without dying. Right? Those two things is the Father and the Son. It's God and man, but not man like us. It's perfect man. If you look at you can study this maybe a little bit more yourself when where it talks about the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a guy who was known to be a king and a priest. But it says that he has an indestructible life, that he has no beginning, that he has no end. And he was the one that you can read about him in, in, right at the start with Abraham, but then you read about him again in Hebrews, and it's a type and shadow of Jesus because Jesus has an indestructible life. He has no beginning. He has no end. And that is the man who God made covenant with for us. So that the covenant now is founded on a, on a structure, on a temple that has incredible uh, integrity and sustainability. So now we reads things like Christ in us is the hope of glory, that we are the temple of God. In Colossians it talks about how all the fullness of God, of the Godhead, lives in Jesus. And then he says, and now it also lives in you. All of God, all of his glory, all of his majesty, the same glory that made people die when they came into contact with it, that full breadth, the full face of God that Moses could only look at his back, that fullness of his glory now lives in you. We can't even describe. The word goodness is nowhere near a... a, we can't fathom in our brains the glory of God. We don't have a word that's good enough to describe the full majesty of who he is, his intense and brilliant nature, and all of that is condensed and inside of you. Do you know the most heaviest, densest object in all the universe is a, what they call a neutron star? Do you know what a neutron star is? It's basically a star that's exploded, okay, a supernova, what happens is it explodes outwards but it also explodes inwards and it condenses itself so tightly inwards that it becomes the most dense and heavy thing in the universe. So it explodes out, it explodes in. You could think of, say, the sun, humongous, I think it's like one and a half million kilometres across or something, that exploding inward and condensing so much so that it goes inwards into the size of Perth and it weighs the same. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty dense. You can correct me. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is from what I've read. And so think of it, this is another kind of illustration. Think of a humongous skyscraper building, the fullness of all that, how heavy it is. You condense it all down into the size of a tiny little marble, and it weighs the same, and you try and pick that up. That's how dense it is, right? Now, here's the kind of thing that I want to get to. This is the point. How dense is God's glory? How dense and weighty and just immeasurable is Jesus' nature and personality? How heavy is it? And he puts it in you. The fullness of God is in you. It's incredible. Our puny little minds cannot fathom it at all. So three things I just want to give to you about what God's glory is. Um, Three attributes that are fairly consistent throughout the Bible when you look at God's glory. And the first one is, it's tangible. We talk about God's presence. God's presence is everywhere. Wherever we go, we can't run away from it. No matter how we feel, his presence is with us. But when you see God's glory, generally you can feel it. Generally you can see it, hear it, smell it, f- experience it. So there's a difference between the presence of God and his glory. His glory is something that is tangible. And um, so the Israelites see the manifestation of it. The Moses, his face would radiate, it would shine, and uh the mountaintop, you could see the glory that he would go up. There was a cloud of glory. they were scared to go up it. If they were scared, it means that they saw something. His glory is tangible. Another part of that is is. We could look further on talking about God's glory, his goodness, his His divinity is expressed through the miraculous. So it's another way to define it, that when we see healings, when we see miracles, signs and wonders, it's his glory. Resurrection, people coming back from the dead, it's expressions of God's tangible glory. And we are a church of glory, this is what we're talking about, and so we fully believe that we are a church of the miraculous church of miracles, a church of signs and wonders, that God doesn't just touch us in an invisible way in our spirit, but he wants to touch our whole being and bring us into the fullness of his glory. So when we were made in his image, he didn't just make us as spiritual beings, he made us as physical beings, and he calls it good. He calls us his glory. Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says that... The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. In John 1.14 it says, The word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. See, Jesus is the very manifestation of glory. Again, it's just re-emphasizing this thing that God's glory is always tangible. Jesus came as the tangible, physical form of God. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He was the exact representation of the Father. If you know, want to know what God is like and what the Father's heart is for you, look at Jesus, what he did, what he expressed in his life. So the glory of God is tangible. Jesus is tangible. All his goodness, his compassion, his mercy, his grace and truth, life and light, he is the way, his divine nature and personality was expressed in the person of Jesus. Secondly, glory, his glory is light. 1 John 1, it says, God is light and in him there is no darkness. John 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus, this is Jesus he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will possess the light. Hebrews 1, verse 3, we just read, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And the word radiance means bright, flashing light bursting forth. So his glory is light. When they couldn't look at Moses' face because it was shining so bright with the brilliance and the light of God. In Matthew 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus transforms into a brilliant light. His clothes turn into light, just brightness. And, and then Moses and Elijah appeared, and then it says a bright cloud came down and covered them. It's not like this. my original kind of thinking was like a storm cloud. That would come and cover them that you couldn't see through because it's kind of like black and grey. But it says a bright light that was shining. They couldn't that that came. And so then Acts 9, Paul on the road to Damascus runs into God. You know the story. And then he it says a, a bright light shone, and then he got blinded and fell to the ground. In that place, I'm not an expert, but on the road to Damascus, it's like a desert. And in a desert, in the middle of the day, it's pretty bright. When you've got the sun shining down on you with no clouds, everything is bright. It's not just looking at the sun. Down on white sand, reflecting straight back into your eyes, it's bright. You need sunglasses, don't you? So in that place, he's walking along and he sees a brighter light than that. That's a bright light. So much so that it blinds him. So the glory of, Lord, of God is light. And there's heaps of other, heaps of other examples as well. Um, throughout, you can look in Ezekiel. It talks often about the brilliance and the, and the glory of God that filled the temple with light and radiance. And uh, this is one of my favorite ones. He's in Habakkuk 3, it says, His radiance is like sunlight and he has rays of flashings coming from his hands, which is pretty cool. And we also know Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Thirdly, let's quickly going through it, glory has weight. And I kind of touched on this before, that the density and the weight and the heaviness of God, so much so that uh, we read about it um, in 2 Chronicles and 5 and 2 and Chronicles 7, where the glory of God, and they use the word kabod, meaning the heavy, weighty presence of God, would come so thick, so tangible, that the priest couldn't even stand up. I don't know if you've ever been in a meeting where you can feel tangibly the heaviness of God, where it's just like, it's not like you can't move or anything, but it's just you feel like the air is getting thicker. It's the glory of God. It's a tangible manifestation of his glory where it's the kabod glory where it's weighty and, and goes on in uh, chapter 7 of Second Chronicles talking about it was so thick that they couldn't even get into the temple. It was so dense that they physically couldn't walk because of the glory and the heaviness of God. And that word kabod also means... Not just the, the weightiness, that's just one of the meanings, but it really is the glorious, and it talks about the honorable dignity, the good reputation, the splendor, and it can also mean the riches or the wealth of God. So it's really this sense of value, valuing his presence. Has such, when he enters in the room with such a majesty and such, a, uh, such expression of who he is, you just feel it and you value it to the point where you just can't do anything. You fall to the ground, you fall to your knees because you know the goodness and his brilliance has come into that place. Who wants that? I want more of that. The thing is, we've got it. You've already got it. We just don't believe it, I think. So let me have a look here. You've already got it. I'm just going to read out some prophetic words over us that has been spoken to us over the years. I feel like I need to talk about something else first, though. I think someone said it today, um, talking about surrender, surrendering to God, submitting yourself to God. And we know this, there's a scripture in Romans 12, and it says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The word transform means metamorphosize, like a butterfly. So it's transformed from the inside out. So we are transformed from the inside out by the renewing of our mind. And then we can express, we can prove God's good and pleasing will, so we can walk it out and show people. Before that happens, in verse 1, I think it is, it talks about, in view of God's mercy, it says, submit, surrender yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. Now, it's talking about surrendering, and the thing is, often we can go, I want more of the glory of God, I want him more in my life, and Sometimes we can think that it comes by praying more. It comes by trying to be a better person, be more holy, trying to spend more time with God. And it does. But it's not, I don't think it's quite accurate to say those things. Because His glory is attracted to grace. So you can't get more of God's glory. He's already given it to you. You already have Jesus. He is the full manifestation of God's glory, and he lives inside of you. You've already got it. The renewing of our mind is believing we've already got it. But you can't fully renew your mind unless you're surrendered to Jesus, until you're surrendered to God, surrendered to the understanding that he is in you already, and surrendering to his gift. So to me, it's really this idea of opening our hearts and our, our soul and just everything that we are and in our inner being to what God wants to do. Amen? Because your mind, in its state right now, can't renew itself. It doesn't have the power within itself to make itself better. Amen? Because otherwise it would just automatically be better. Many times it doesn't. It doesn't. It's got this, like, I love what Graham Cook says. He says, people think that God speaks to to our head. And he's like, that is so wrong. He doesn't speak to us head. Why would he do that? Because it's the thickest part of us. It's the thickest part of who we are. So why would he speak to us? He speaks to our heart. But we need to be open and receive it. So it comes back to this thing of it's not you trying to do something in order to get God's glory, it's believing you've already got it. That's, the, that's what we need to get, this whole thing of going back to, I said last week, that the grace of God is meditation, then it's movement, then it's what your message is. And if you've got a problem with your message and a problem with your movement, it's inconsistent, then you don't try and change what you're doing, you go back to your meditation, what you believe, what you think, what you know about God. That's how you transform. That's how your movement begins to transform. That's how you begin to metamorphosize and let the glory that's already in you begin to come out. Is that all right? I feel a little bit better after saying that now. (laughs) So I'm just going to read some words that were given to us a while ago. Um, While I do that, Lucien, do you want to come up and just quickly... I'll try not to be too long. just play for us a little bit. The first one it says freedom life arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness over the peoples but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you nations will come to your light kings to the brightness of your dawn I had a picture of the people of freedom life forming the shape of a net they were trying to scoop up those who would come in those drawn to the light Because the word will be confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. And we at Freedom Life need to expect these people and be ready for them to gather, to protect, to shepherd, and to build them up. We need to scoop them up and keep them safe. We need to be ready for them because they are coming. In Isaiah 60, verse 22, The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest, a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and in this time I will do it swiftly. The Lord is present with you on his mercy seat at all time. His presence is with you in abundance. You will both see and feel the increase of his glory. You will plant seven places of refuge for the people of Perth. God will use you to raise up a seedbed of leaders filled with overflowing with the presence of God. You will be a people who carry the sweet aroma of Jesus. And you will be a showpiece, a place where people will be drawn and fed by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, where the glory of God is thick and it is tangible. This is not a time to hold back freedom life. The ride ahead is going to be wild. It's going to be scary and exciting, full of of thrilling experiences and the glory of God. You will see people set free, coming in to be healed, delivered and restored. Do not hold back. Do not hesitate. For it is a time to step out and God will speak through you and bring about his plans and purposes. Many are going to be saved. Many are going to be filled with his presence to walk in his glory every single day. It is a time to rejoice and expect big things. He is wanting to pour out over you and above you all that you can think or imagine. The riches, the health, salvation, joy, peace and restoration. Receive what what he has for you. Do not strive or even travail. Simply receive it. Freedom Life, you've been called to be actors in the kingdom of God. Taking action, action, putting into action God's plan for this present day. He has called you to show the world who Jesus is. You are, as it were, sitting in the upper room, worshipping, talking excitedly about what God is going to do. So get ready. The Holy Spirit is going to fall like a rushing wind and a storm of grace and glory such like you've never seen before. God is going to use you into the future to unite churches across Perth. We're already seeing this. And you will be instrumental in bringing people into tangible encounters with the living God. Releasing agents of heaven into the streets of Perth. Releasing the miraculous power of heaven that sees the blind eyes open. That sees deaf ears hear. The lame to rise and walk again. You have been established to demonstrate the awesome power of God. Just as the early church walked in miraculous signs and wonders. So, too, this is your calling, your mandate, your destiny. There'll be those who oppose you, those who will come and ridicule you, who will say that miracles are not for today. But I say to you, do not be swayed, do not listen to their unbelief, because I've established you to be a miracle church. That you will see it come to pass, you will have an army of radical miracle workers invading the city, bringing life, bringing freedom. bringing hope. These were written over 10 years ago. Over the years, we've seen and walked in more and more of this, but God's got so much more. We are in just a tiny little shallows. We're not even really in the water of what he wants to do. Amen. He wants this whole city saved it's going to be more than just the one on twos that need to get saved. We need thousands every day to get saved. Just like in the book of Acts where Peter stands up and 3,000 get saved. We need more of that if we want to see the entire nation changed for God. And That is his plan. That is his intent. That his glory, not ours. We don't do it on ourselves. We're not like the Tower of Babel trying to build our way to God. It's not like that. We're here to present Jesus and his glory. Amen? He is the one who brings the increase, not us. So stand up. We don't have to be long, but I just want to quickly do this. Just lift your hands if you, if you can. Jesus... We know that you've given us everything. You've put all the fullness of the Godhead inside of us. It dwells in us. But God, I just pray, Father, that we would walk in all of it, that we would walk in the fullness of it. And I pray right now, Father, that there would come an increase of your glory upon us all. In Jesus' name, right now, let the glory of God increase let it fall, let it be bubbling up inside of us to a new level where when we walk down the street, as we were just talking about before, that it it, it it oozes beyond our skin where people can feel the tangible glory of God, the nature, His love, His personality, His kindness and His heart would go beyond us where as we walk we encounter people where it's not a striving thing, where we're not trying to build something up or trying to like increase our faith or anything like that but your personality and your glory goes before us and it 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 gets i just pray for that it would intensify right now even right now that that intensity of your glory would increase in jesus name that all the unbelief all the doubt all the preconceived ideas that we build up that puts it like we can't have this, that we're not worthy of it, that we don't deserve to walk in goodness, that we need to try and be more holy, that all that junk would just go away, that Jesus has made you holy, Jesus has made you worthy, Jesus has chosen you to be the dispenser and the carrier of his glory. So I thank you, God, for all that junk just being wiped away from us in Jesus' name, that we would be good conduits of your glory that we would be like gold that wouldn't break that the that the integrity of of our of our um, just of everything that we are would be so pure it would be so strong that it can sustain the glory of God and it would shine through us every single day we thank you for the words that you've given to us the prophetic words that you've spoken over this church, that we are a church of the miraculous, a church of glory. And God, we say yes, we're putting our hands up and saying well, that's who we want to be. That's everything that we want to give, everything that we have to that, because there's nothing else that you're building on this earth except for your church. And so, Father, we thank you again. I just bless every single person here. And I pray that there is intensity in the glory, that it would intensify. Not, I don't want it to just happen here. It's good that it happens in a meeting, but I pray that as we go out and in our walk, in our daily life, that the glory of God would intensify more than it ever has before. I would love it to happen in a meeting and it's nice and fun when it does. But man, I want it more and more in the workplace, out in the streets, out in the marketplace, out when you're doing shopping, out when you're just walking, uh, just going somewhere with your kids and the glory of God just gets manifested, gets released. So I thank you for that, Father. Just bless everyone here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah. About um, five months ago, I had a great day off. I was just in in the spirit, you know, not actually trying anything. But Jesus is so wonderful. Mm. I go to this cafe, sit down and I'm just texting a friend on the phone. A woman walks up to me, she was sitting by the door and she says, I'm not religious but when you walk through that door, you didn't come in alone, this presence came in with you and I said, oh, I know who that is. Sit down and, and we had like a minute and a half of sharing, her name's Megan and yeah, God just dropped on her. So. But he doesn't just want to drop on someone in a cafe. It's like whole suburbs. It's like the whole city. So, and he does. Just love him.